You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Christmas time was here. It was here. It's gone. Now it's Kwanzaa time. We drank all the beer. I think it's even technically Hanukkah time. <laughs> I think it still is. I get a little confused about what the dates are. They, they, I mean, they should really coordinate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there's two or three other holidays on my own. Oh, oh yeah. Winter solstice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'd say pagan holidays, but uh, that's what Yuletide is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. not go there. Okay. Let's not go there. But uh, did you have a good Christmas, Jeff? Uh, yeah. I, whichever one of those you celebrated. Uh, I celebrated whichever I can get rip shit drunk at. Yeah. So, all of them. And you managed to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm literally running on fumes right now. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around. I was like three parties in a, in a, in like a, in given nights in a row. Yeah. I had a, a friend who had the audacity to have a kid the night before Christmas. I was like, oh, come on. Oh, that poor kid. Yeah, I know. I gave yeah. him a Christmas gift and I was like, this is the last time that you got a Christmas gift that isn't also your birthday present. So enjoy. <laughs> so what was your favorite present? Uh, my favorite present, uh, was, well, was the one I gave was, was a, a, a Bucky's bib. What is a Bucky's bib? Bucky's the truck stop chain. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got a beaver as their logo. And you, you went out of your way to find a Bucky's, mm-hmm. which means leaving the Austin city limits. Yeah, yeah, I went to Temple. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, uh, the kid's parents are from Jersey, so now they have to know that they have a Texas child. So now they'll never forget. No, they certainly won't. <laughs> I think of all the gifts I got this year, I was happiest with uh, beer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I had a fair amount of that, but uh, I seem to have misplaced it all. I think I just found it. Oh, well... Hello, foamy broth. Welcome to Digital Noise, the final episode of 2016. I'm really glad that you finished that sentence. I'm just, yeah, I know, right? I'm like, I'm just hoping one of us doesn't die before this is over. <laughs> Surprise, everybody. We were going back to the obscurity. <laughs> I saw, actually, the funniest thing today was someone saying, 2016 is the worst year ever. And that's like, people who are in the year of the Black Plague. WTF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have it so bad. Yeah, all things considered. At worst, we lost a beloved character on uh, Arrested Development. But who do you, who? George Michael. Wait, did he die? Uh, no, it was just... Oh, the, I yeah, see what you George did Michael there. Got, because, the yeah, I just yeah. didn't have faith. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Sorry for anyone who's offended by me making a George Michael joke. Nothing against George Michael. He just was never my thing. Yeah, there's no whams. I'm still, no whammies. I, I'm still in, in, in deep mourning over David Bowie and Leonard Cohen and, and Alan Rickman. Fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Jaja Gabor. Like, I, I forgot mean, about Jaja Yeah, Gabor. well, I mean, now you can just forget about cinema in general. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. There's no more. Sh- They're never going to have a Love Boat reboot. Oh, God, you're right. No more Love Boat Christmas specials. Okay, this is the worst. Let's just end it now. <laughs> or just go into the thing that we do, which is digital noise. Uh, please, guys, don't forget, you got those gift certificates on Amazon. The way to spend them is start by clicking on our links on this page. If you do that, it brings you to Amazon page. You don't have to buy that item. But if you start from one of our links, anything you buy gives us a healthy little kickback. 
And that is appreciated. Yeah, and if you want to buy some of our used panties, you can also browse that on Amazon. We haven't opened that store yet, but it is coming. Okay, cool, because I've been saving them. Well, you keep bringing me garbage bags of the damn... Well, i got to do something with them. (laughs) Yeah, you only wear them once. (laughs) That's that's how you make the money. (laughs) And I have to, like, keep throwing in, like, you know, scented things with That ruins the market value. It just ruins the house. Um... As well, please become a subscriber. Lots of new subscriber stuff on the way. You've already seen some of our videos up there, and there will be subscriber-exclusive videos coming more than there already are. In fact, the new uh, the video for The Last Theog should be posting in the next day or two for subscribers only. So. Oh, so it's kind of like uh, one of us champagne room. It kind of is, except it doesn't cost you like $600 to get a hand job. Oh, yeah, we're much cheaper. This is just like, you know... You, you, Two, five, ten, or twenty-five. Attention and some Cheetos. Yeah, no guarantees for hand jobs, though. Mostly, <laughs> unless Joe happens <laughs> to be around. All right. With all that being said, let's move on to what we do, which is the review. The reviews. And we're going to start off with one of the films that was definitely one of my favorites of this year. Uh, and I feel bad for Leica, who is an animation company who has been in contention for best animated film several times mm-hmm, already. But mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. the first year they, in my opinion, you know, was like, okay, this is the best thing you've ever done. The movie being Kubo and the Two Strings. You totally deserve to win this year. And then Moana came out. I was like, sorry, guys. <laughs> well, shit's on you. <laughs> You're going to get fucked again this year. Uh, if, if you guys haven't already seen this thing, and I know a lot of people have certainly been talking about how, how much they loved it. Uh, this is really worth going out of your way for, in my opinion. Uh, um, it, taking from Japanese mythology, sort of like a Neil Gaiman-ish Japanese myth story. Yeah, just just uh, muddled up enough so it's not a specific ripoff of anything. Yeah, and it has a weird the animation style is a kind of strange, almost origami ish type look to it. Right. Yeah. The a lot of the the post treatment on it, like uh, uh, the stop motion was great, but the mouths kind of freaked me out. What do you mean? Uh, because there was a there's a pretty big disparity in visual quality between the mouths and and the actual movement of the characters. Okay. So I was just like, man, that's graining. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I didn't even notice that, but I, you've worked with animation before. I have, yeah. I have not. Now, see, here's why Kubo is horrible. No, I'm just kidding. It was great. <laughs> I was like, I, like it. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> no, I was. soul die a little bit there. <laughs> the sh- most shocking thing about this is that Matthew McConaughey as a, a beetle samurai actually works really well. And sounds like a human being instead of Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, all right, all right. Let's, let's go to the code of Bushido. See, it should have been like, see, look, dude, I knew you could talk like people. Now keep doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, it's a fun cast. Charlize Theron is Monkey, who is sort of like the uh, nagging sidekick of the main character. Yeah, protector valet sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rooney Mara is in this, Ralph Fiennes, George Takei. It's it's really good. And if you're wondering, if you saw it in the theater, you're wondering, yes, but do I want to own this? It's got like a six-part featurette on this, which equals up to probably right around 30 minutes or so, as well as a few other extra featurettes on here. I mean, it's nothing super elaborate. There's an audio commentary with the director, Travis Knight. Um, At the very least, you just get to watch the movie again. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those I know I'm going to be coming back to. Yeah. Like I said, this really was one of my favorites of the year. Kubo and the Two Strings was exceptional. Uh, would, would you list this in your favorites? Oh, it's definitely one of them, and it reminded me that, god damn it, I have to learn how to play Shamisen. 
Like, Sh- that's that's the little thing that he was playing. Oh, is that they sound cool? Yeah, they're really cool. But back when I was really into it, uh, they were like four hundred dollars only available from Japan. So I was like, hmm, let's revisit that. And I looked on Amazon.com, uh-huh. uh, and there's plenty of kits to be had. Where you can make your own? No, where you can just buy them, and now they're like a hundred bucks. Okay, yeah. Well, imagine it, like that probably became a pretty hipster instrument to get in Austin. Texas. Oh, probably like electric shawmi or something. There's probably people who make them here, hand <laughs> yeah. make them, you know, made out of live oak wood. And, yeah, and, and genuine, uh, ethically sourced snakeskin. <laughs> is snakeskin a part of that? Yeah, yeah, that's what the sound box is covered in. No shit. Mm-hmm. No idea that that was the case. Well, it sounds pretty cool in the movie. It does. Uh, moving on, the second thing I got from Riff Tracks, which, you know, I had made a big deal about being so excited that, oh, Riff Tracks is sending us stuff now. Mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. week we, or last show, we talked about the MST3K Riff Tracks Live uh, anniversary, which was pretty fucking cool. Oh, cool. Where it brought back everybody pretty much who had ever done the show, including one of the new guys, and they talked, they did, like, each did segments, like, short films on, on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Fun. Well, uh, this is one of their standard releases, Time Chasers. Now, Time Chasers is a 1994 really terrible sci-fi film. Wait, that was 94? Yeah, believe it or oh, not. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that was, um... I love at one point they, they see him running down the alley and there's a ripped up poster for Back to the Future. He's like, hey, you can see the poster for that film that ripped this off. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically. But what's fun about this and some of the ones I've been doing recently is they've been, rather than just doing like a straight, like we recorded a commentary and attached it to this movie we got the rights to, now they're actually doing the actual live performances mm-hmm. on the DVD. And there's definitely something appealing about watching this with an audience reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, watching watching the guys uh, who who have been the voices behind the puppets though, uh, a little little uh, I didn't like that. They're getting a little old. <laughs> well, they, well like they are. Nelson, who looks like a little thicker, but that's about it. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he's he's uh, immortal. So yeah. yeah, and this is indeed the the sci-fi channel uh, lineup of voices. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Tom Servo, Gro, mm-hmm. and and Mike Nelson lineup from those years, which is still my favorite lineup, actually. I'm a I Tracy know. Blue man. Uh, people were, uh, yeah, I mean, I love Tracy Blue. Nothing against anybody there's, else who's done it. There's only one crow for me. That's I, all I'm saying. I think it was less the voices and more the writing I thought liked mm. better during the sci-fi years. Yeah, yeah, like like where Joel, it was more like he was Papa and Mike was just like their bud so they could get a little more lewd. Well, I mean, like, certainly now uh, we're looking at this new stuff and it's there's something to be said for, like, watching the new stuff as opposed to the older stuff because the jokes are fresher. Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're more topical. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes going back and watching the old Mystery Science Theaters, it'll be referencing, like, minor news events that happen near there and you're like, I have no fucking clue with it. <laughs> I thought this was real hilarious the first time. Now I have no idea what's going on. I assume I've originally at some point watched, because Mystery Science Theater has done Time Chasers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so this is them going back, getting back together and re- redoing doing it basically mm-hmm. in front of a live audience and i don't know i had fun with it yeah i wouldn't list it on my all-time top 10 but you know it's certainly if you like this sort of thing you're gonna have a good time yeah just it's, watch it. it's a terrible fucking movie <laughs> you know with a guy who turns a single engine airplane into a time machine and oh yeah well cessnas have those time components that they just block off they're optional yeah yeah you have to you have to pay for the extras <laughs> He makes the mistake of like selling out immediately to an evil corporate guy who takes it away from him, and then what's the worst that can happen? And then they get into a time war after he builds his own of trying to go back, uh, like not even like. There's so much basic logic that you're like, wait, so you're both going to the same time to stop him from selling you this in the first place instead of oh I don't know like 
like there's a billion different yeah, killing his parents going earlier and earlier. <laughs> you know, you'd think that that would just not stop. But uh, there, yeah, I had a good time with this. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, recommended. Uh, and then we've get got uh, another animated uh, animated mix with live action output from Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Strangely, of all people who directed the BFG, big fucking gun. This is I know it's like still like, gosh, you sure you want to <laughs> stick with that name? Uh, this is adapted from a Roald Dahl novel that was quite popular, and I believe has been adapted once before. No okay. guy say. But this is uh, Spielberg getting all Spielberg magic-y. Was there a shooting star? I didn't notice. <laughs> was there a shooting star? Yeah, yeah. Usually in a Spielberg movie, there's a shooting star in the background That's at some point. probably was. It almost certainly was, right? It had to have been. But it's this little girl who lives in an orphanage, and not like one of those two totally awful orphanages. <laughs> yeah, she didn't have major complaints about it. Yeah, overall, it looked like a pretty nice orphanage. Yeah, I'd but live there. She has a, apparently doesn't get along great with all the other kids, and she stays up really late, and then one night she spots a giant wandering around her city, played by Mark Rylance, or mo-capped by Mark Rylance, mm-hmm. and looks a lot like Mark Rylance, yeah. to be fair. Uh, who grabs her and takes her with him to the land of the giants. That's right, they get the squiz bombs out. Yeah, we're turns out he's actually despite having some amount of vocal affectation difficulties uh one of the nice giants because all the other giants are like twice his size and dicks well i mean what they were trying to say is they were scottish savages (laughs) yeah is that what that was that's what it kind of looked like there there was a little commentary there uh i thought it's already germane clement voices the the leader of the evil giants which is always fun to see him do whatever Pretty much. Yeah, just let the man go nuts. Um, but, I mean, this is a movie I, nobody went to go see it. I think it was a, a something to do with the what it was up against, which I don't remember offhand. Well, also, it's just like a, a real weird, like, mm, I don't need to. Like, I asked my girlfriend, I was like, hey, you want to watch this with me? She's like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Nah. <laughs> I thought it was charming enough. This isn't a classic or anything, but there's nothing really wrong with it either. I enjoyed it. If I had kids, I'd be like, sure, yeah, absolutely, we'll watch this. Yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, the funniest stuff to me is in the last third where they basically do the weirdest thing of going like, you know what, let's introduce you to Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, that was that was just odd. Because <laughs> like, it was uh, very rolled doll. Like, like the timing was like what around the '80s because she talked to Reagan at some point. Yeah. So you know, Thatcher's got the Falklands taken care of, so she's just gonna go fuck up giant land. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, at at worst, you go, this is certainly not, no one's ever going to list this among Spielberg's best films, but it's a decent doll adaptation. Yeah, the CGI was pretty good. CGI is good. I mean, like, I guess, like, you miss a certain degree of the normal uncanny valley you get with uh, humanoid creatures, with because even though he's very human, he's still weirdly different enough that you didn't really get that sense of creepiness that you got from, (laughs) you know... Like maybe a few a character in Rogue One. Oh, hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's some bonus uh, features on there, bringing the BFG to life, about a 30 minute thing, uh, which talks about the young actress shows her experiences on the set. There's something animated telling of the story, the big friendly giant and me. 
There's Gobblefunk, the wonderful words of the BFG, which uh, looks at the strange vocabulary that our main giant has his affectation with, which I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. It got annoying to me. <laughs> uh, Giants 101, which was casting and performing the nine giants in this thing, and then a tribute to L- Melissa Matheson, who was the screenwriter, who had worked with Spielberg on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a Hollywood legend yeah. who came back out of retirement to do this one last film and then died before it actually got completely One finished. last job. One last job. But yeah, overall, I think this is just fine. Yeah, I'd say if if you're debating whether or not to watch it, just don't. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> yeah. Why would you say that? Well, because it's like mm, watch this or uh, you know watch Farscape. Like yeah, just just watch Farscape. I don't know if I agree. <laughs> okay. I mean, I love Farscape, but don't put me on the spot like that. Where I have to choose between Farscape. <laughs> well, and I can't believe that you're you're an avid Farscape hater. Like, I, that it finally comes out. That is not what's happening right now. Shh. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, moving on, we get a film that I actually saw, I want to say it was South by Southwest, called The Frontier. And I also want to say it was called something else when I saw it. Because I started watching this and I was like, wait a minute, I've seen this. Was it called Shitty Acting? (laughs) The acting is not top-notch on this. And even though this is, like, one of those things that goes... For a genre I really like, which is sort of southern gothic noir. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very Jim Thompson-esque. It's just, it's convoluted to a point that you're kind of like, okay. There's a moment you go, this, there's no way any of this would have worked. Yeah. Uh, but it follows uh, the main character, who's a young woman who uh, is hitchhiking or something. And she ends up at this roadside diner in the middle of nowhere run by Kelly Lynch. And is like, look, I just, I don't know what I want. But uh, Kelly Lynch is like, well, why don't you uh, help me with the diner and and uh, I'll let you, I'll let you stay in your room for free or whatever, and we'll take care of you and get your shit together. And a series of weird characters start showing up, extreme, overly exaggerated. Yeah, is my word, almost hyperbolic. Uh, and as it goes along, it becomes clear that some kind of heist or something happened mm-hmm. and they're all there the, that everyone in this hotel who initially seems like there's, they have no connection together. In fact, are all there intentionally as a meeting place to wait for sort of a late stage, like thing of this heist to come through for the payoff. Uh, I mean, well, the main character we find out has a dark thing of her own that happened that she's on the run from something completely mm-hmm. different and is not the nicest person because once she starts figuring out shit's going on, she's like, Oh, I'm gonna take this money. Yeah, this was this was one of those movies where everybody's such a shithead. You're like, I don't care who lives. I prefer preferably, I don't want any of them to live. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like the biggest problem here is that they kind of made that main character who you should be rooting for almost impossible to root. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe it was it was like, oh man, she got in a shitty situation. It's not her fault. Yeah, you know, and it then, was then you totally realize, her fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the one thing Jim Beaver, who, who plays Bobby on Supernaturals in here, who's been in lots of stuff and is usually pretty good in other stuff, mm. here's playing such an irate, constantly over-the-top asshole. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> Jesus, dude, calm down. It's not like you want to be suspicious or anything. <laughs> no, and Cop Guy, when Cop Guy... A.J. Bowen. Yeah, when, when he did his shtick, I was like, oh, let's go back to my place and get some wine, and basically say, and go to Pound Town. Yeah. Uh, he delivered it so poorly, I was like, okay, I'm done with this movie. I mean, I almost have to I blame it on the director, because I've seen that guy, A.J. Bowen, be great and stuff. I've seen Kelly Lynch be great and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Jim Beaver be great and stuff, and I'm like, how is everybody so... Just stilted, <laughs> stilted here. I mean, the thing is, it's a decent enough idea, and it plays out. It moves fast, so mm-hmm. you're gonna be bored during it. But by the end, you're kind of like, "Well, that was kind of a mess." <laughs> this was a giant waste of time. 
All right, so going to an old classic that got re uh, put put out in a nice edition. Mm-hmm. I forget which anniversary we're talking. Thirtieth, I think. The thirtieth anniversary of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. In terms of horror, this was actually kind of groundbreaking. This was oh, this, no, uh, nobody's yeah. ever nobody had ever made anything like this. For me, I didn't even know this existed until the French movie Man Bites Dog came out. Oh, really? If you've ever seen that? one. I have not. Very similar idea, except it's where it's like two you know young documentary students basically pretty sure they've tracked down a serial killer and are dumb enough to go no seriously man we're not gonna do anything we want to make a documentary about you and he kind of buys into the idea and then you know gradually they get sucked into his world you know by the end they're helping him kill people you know (laughs) um henry is more of a solo affair and really one of the first major films from michael rooker who turned obviously into a pretty big star yeah nobody knew that he'd go on to be in replacement killers or uh was he in the replacement yeah he was seacoff uh, he was the cop. That. Well, nobody knew he would go on to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I saw Replacement Killers before I saw Henry, so I was like, dude, what's Seacoff doing killing people? He's a cop. Anyway. I don't even remember the Replacement Killers. So. Mostly time doesn't either. And this is by uh, John McNaughton, an early movie by him, who uh, did uh, quite a few films, but I guess he was better known for television, working on, like, A Homicide Life on the Street, but mm. he did some movies like Mad Dog and Glory and Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll and The Borrower, stuff I vaguely remember, but this is definitely, I think, the thing he's always going to be most probably yeah. remembered for. And it's a tough film to get through. Oh, yeah. In that, <laughs> like, it's really exclusively following him around where he is just, I mean, he's a thrill killer. He's yeah. going on and he's killing women just because he gets off on it, but he's also really smart. Like, he has a thing where he explains to a guy who's his partner at one point, you know, he picks up sort of a new assistant, and uh, is like, look, you can't ever kill them the same way. You have to do it differently every time, or they're going to, like, that's how they get you. Yeah. Is once you have an M.O. You, you got to confuse them that way. And what's interesting is, that, like, the guy who's his, his partner, who they've been friends for all they live together, his sister comes to join him, who Henry actually takes a real liking. Yeah, like a genuine liking. Like, like you know, whereas it seems at first kind of like, like a little sister himself type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, but she has more, starts developing feelings towards him. Yeah. And this whole movie, you're just kind of watching, like, get away from him. <laughs> And yeah, it's really dark, and they brutally murder people on. Yeah, screen. yeah, it's it's not glossed over. No, not even slightly. <laughs> I mean, this is a really disturbing little film that's incredibly well acted. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Rooker knocks it out of the park here. It's a no wonder he ended up being in everything after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely a resume maker. Yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those older horror films like this. It's not in any way like doesn't feel like other horror films from like the 80s or whatever at yeah. all yeah there's and zero cheesiness up. yeah at all <laughs> and and it holds up it, it's still mm-hmm. creepy it's still effective and this being the 30th anniversary they fix it up so it looks right, right as nice as it can on the very low budget way that it's shot <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um there is a sizable uh 20 minute feature at in defense of henry an appreciation which takes a look at its cinematic legacy with directors like Joe Swanberg, film critic Kim Morgan, film professor Jeffrey Sconce, exploitation expert, that's a great title, for <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs. How come we don't have one of those? And then documentary, like legend, Errol Morris, taking a look at these, uh, at, at, at why this film is important, which is a really interesting group of people to come together. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine Errol Morris and Jim, Joe Bob Briggs in the same room together. But. Joe Bob has to get more work. 
<laughs> uh, there's Henry versus the MPAA and visual history. Yes, there were a lot of people who were concerned with this movie getting an X rating. Eventually, they released it unrated. But by today's standards, this would just be R mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Henry at the BBFC, an interview with Nightmare USA author Stephen Thrower. Uh, this is about their torturous, the torturous history with the British ratings board. Uh, there's, it's all either you or them, an interview with Joel, Joe Coleman, who was an artist who created the one sheet for Henry. Um, in the round, a conversation with John McNaughton, the director. There's the 30th anniversary trailer and a booklet that has an essay by a critic in it. And then there's a bunch of extras that were ported over from the previous Blu-ray. Uh, another commentary, a making of Henry, deleted scenes and outtakes, another interview with John McNaughton. I mean, this is a pretty solid solid collection of stuff for a film that very few of you have ever heard of yeah if you like seeing michael rooker just be an asshole to people yeah and and boy honestly one of the most haunting creepy endings to any movie ever yeah it's one of those movies where it's physically draining watching it yeah so another thing you did not i did not get to pass on to you but Mm -mm. they sent me a Mm two-pack of phantasm remastered which is one of my favorite 70s or 80s horror films Mm -hmm. i mean one of those ones that like it both holds up and doesn't hold up at the same time. It's hard to say, yeah, it's real dated looking, but it looked real dated when it came out. <laughs> it's, it's just so bizarre with Angus Scrim as the tall man. A, a um, guy runs a mortuary who's actually a, an alien from another dimension who's taking bodies and scrunching them down into little Jawa looking people <laughs> that are, he uses to try and grab more people to make bodies from as he takes over one town after another. This is kind of a classic. I mean, it's certainly for those of us who love it, it's a classic. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a known entity, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really in the last five years that Phantasm has sort of been rediscovered by a lot of people mm-hmm. who just forgotten about it. It's just, for a film in the 80s, it's bizarre. There's so much strange shit that happens in this movie. Yeah. Um, and, and although this is not the best one of the series, in my opinion. Which one do you think was the best? Phantasm 2 was always better. Okay. Phantasm 2 turns it into sort of a, like, guys on the road chasing the tall man story. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, well, we gotta, we gotta catch up with him and stop him and finding, like, one destroyed town after another that he's already <laughs> been through, you know? Um, and, you know, the iconic thing here is the silver balls. Yes. That fly around through the air and have, like, spikes and drills that come out and then shoot your blood up. Let's go whatever you that need. Is, as near as I can tell never explained what the fuck those things are but they're cool this <laughs> is tools of the trade my man uh so yeah if you get this new one not only do they really did do a really great job fixing this thing up like making it look the transfer look terrific but uh there's an, a fun little 11 and a half minute vignette with director don coscarelli and a michael baldwin there's interviews from 1979 from a tv show with uh C- coscarelli and a star angus scrim there's a about six deleted scenes in here some of which are pretty good the original trailers and audio commentary was coscarelli baldwin angus scrim and bill thornberry you know, I mean, it's it's about as much stuff as exists to put on a Phantasm <laughs> Blu-ray. It's not like they had the money to be filming a lot of behind-the-scenes extras, you know? <laughs> no, no, all that money was going towards the screen. Nobody was thinking about things in that context then. No. Um, but then they also released at the same time Phantasm Ravager, which is Phantasm Five, which <laughs> came out very quietly and to little aplomb, and for good reason. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that's one they chose to follow it up with. 
<laughs> it's the final installment in the Phantasm series, not just because Anger Scrim died before they finished making it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although that in and of itself, there's never a moment you're like, oh, this is fucked up because Anger Scrim wasn't in it as much as he needed to be. Mm-hmm. No. That's, <laughs> it's just fucking terrible. It fell down on its own legs. It's, it's not directed by Don Coscarelli either. He's just a producer. They brought in this other guy, David Hartman, and it's just all... You, basically, it's just Reggie, the guy who's balding, even in the original one, balding with mm-hmm. a ponytail, who's running around in the, dem- in the desert, still trying to track down the tall man, and flashing back and forth from multiple realities constantly, to a point you're like, stop fucking doing that! Like, like, oh, they're like, oh, maybe all of it's in his head, because he's one of them, he's in a hospital, and they're all like, you have dementia, and everybody's still alive. And you're like, dude, that's like an old TV trick. <laughs> Guys, stop wasting my time. I mean, really, that's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer has done it, Supernatural has done it, you don't get to do a movie where that's your <laughs> after that. It's just too late. It, there's just they try to bring back a lot of the actors who've been in these over the mm. years in this one for like appearances because they're like, well, fuck it, these are all possible realities, right? Or dreams or something, so you can do whatever the hell you want. But man, is it bad? Oh boy, I'm sorry, I missed I, it. I can't defend this fucking thing at all, and I love I've I've really even the last one, uh, four, which I really enjoyed, despite how bad it is. I'm still like, yeah, it's still really fun. You should watch it. <laughs> I can't even recommend this one. Well, then you shouldn't. I, I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, this is me not recommending Phantasm Ravager. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, okay? You'll have to take his word for it, folks. Yeah. I, I just, I know some of you are like, but I love Phantasm. I'm, fuck you. I'm going to watch it anyway. All right. I watch love it. the series, too, and this left me with such a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, I wish I had never watched it. <laughs> I wish I had just stopped with four. All right, let's move on to something that you did get to see, which was, I thought, a surprisingly entertaining, sort of almost a tribute to uh, wuxia films. And and to westerns. Yeah, and to westerns. Very Sergio Leone, to be sure. Call of Heroes, also known as The Deadly Reclaim. I think Call of Heroes was a better title to go with. Hong Kong Chinese action film directed by the great Benny Chan with action direction by Sammo Hung. Sammo! Yeah, um, and this is a fun... Good guys versus bad guys. Lots of swords. Yeah, not complicated. No. <laughs> Just like by the numbers, but done well. Yeah, the action is all really fun. Yes, there's a certain amount of like, okay, nobody can actually jump that far type of fl- like halfway flying. Yeah. Not as much as, say, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon right. or something like that. Um, most of this is more straight up fighting, uh, a fun story, good performances, decent budgeted enough, very little CG inserts. Yeah, and the CG that's there is silly, but you kind of forgive them because you understand why they had to. Yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah. I, I this is actually maybe the best Hong Kong movie we got this year. I I, I would say it was it was uh, not. I wouldn't say like a thrill ride. It was just every bit of it was enjoyable. the The cinematography, while not outstanding, was good enough that you're like, hey, I appreciate that shot. Yeah, um, and it has a lot of sort of like that that Sergio Leone group of of guys who are all bad but they come together type of thing yeah know? and um, and uh the just... goofy main character who's just like hey i'm just passing through i don't want any of this shit <laughs> yeah. and they're, he gets sucked in because a bunch of little kids are getting killed he's like 
God damn it. Look, we all know I'm a badass, so I don't have to hide it anymore, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody has their own... We All the characters have their own really weird peculiarities, especially the main villain, who is just this out-and-out psychotic. I mean, he yeah. is the Chinese, like, 18th century Chinese Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, man, you know, they want to get you back. They should. They really shouldn't want you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they, are you guys sure you want this guy back? Because you do realize he's kind of a liability being outwardly a psychotic. He's basically your drunk psychotic friend at the club. Yeah, <laughs> he totally is. Where you're like, you reach that point, you're like, fuck it. He's on his own. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting calling an Uber. I'm exactly. Done. I'd love to see the whole army here just call an Uber and just leave. <laughs> oh, we got to go. We got a thing. Sorry. Gotta, sorry, man. Good luck, though. I'm sure stay, you'll be fine. Stay away from that big-ass pile of wine jugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is, uh, honestly, guys, Call of Heroes. It's one of those ones, if you like, uh, you know, if you remember more, this feels like an 80s uh, Chinese film back yeah, when just, we used to really like those movies. And nice and cleaned up. Yeah, yeah, but it's brand new. They just made it, so, <laughs> you know, like, oh, wow. Very, very, very good. Um, even a, with a bunch of making up featurettes on it, too, which is kind of cool. Uh, so, yeah, Call Heroes, highly recommended. Also highly recommended, and this was actually one of the films that made my shortlist for Best Foreign Films this year. Was oh, really? In Order of Disappearance, which was described on the package as Fargo meets Death Wish. And, wow, that's exactly what this is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because it's Death Wish. Only kind of set in like a Fargo like type area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And it, with a Fargo sense of humor. Yeah, but but with those those backdrops so beautifully haunting, it's like why yeah. the fuck do people choose to live in this? I don't get that either. But it's Stellan Skarsgård who probably does actually live in that. Uh, who who's you know legendary actor as well as I believe two of his brothers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, who lives in Norway. He's a snowplow driver. His life is simple enough. He's That's what I love. Enough. I, I love that he was just like a uh, just a, sh a schmo. Joe schmo. Yeah. Uh, totally. And then he finds out his son died, and they tell him it was a drug overdose. But he finds out no. There's some drug dealer. He was involved in drug dealing, and the drug dealers murdered him. And he's like. He's like, well, fuck that. <laughs> and it just starts going on a killing spree to kill these guys and gets fortunate enough to kind of accidentally make the gang think another gang was doing stuff. So mm -hmm. that he launches a gang war. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great cover, by the way. Yeah, great cover. And every time someone dies in this thing, of which they do by the dozens and dozens, <laughs> yeah. the screen goes black and they'll show a little cross and then the name of the person who mm -hmm. died. As, and it becomes almost a running joke by the end as people are dying so fucking fast <laughs> that it just keeps <laughs> happening. I had a great time with this. No, I thought it was it was really awesome. Like I don't think it's giving anything away, but like early on when uh he he's he's ready to just take his life and then when he gets confirmation that oh no, your son was killed, it's like Hey, well, I got a purpose to keep on living. Yeah. <laughs> and it's to make others not. I've, I've, I'm going to kill every <laughs> motherfucker in Norway if I have to. Anybody connected with this in the faintest way. And I think he got pretty close. <laughs> he did get pretty close. Uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, of course, it's not in English, so relax. But honestly, this isn't one of those slow, pensive, no. think about it. This is No, luckily not. <laughs> this is an action comedy. Which is rare from Norway. Yeah, it's Johnny Murder Time. In fact, I would say non-existent from Norway. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was not a slow burn at all. 
almost two hours this thing goes by super fast. Mm-hmm. And Skarsgård is really funny because half the time he's like on the, like this bloodlust, and the other half he just looks just completely befuddled by what's happening because <laughs> the whole situation goes so far outside of his control so fast as this gang war heats up, and he's like, "Wait a minute, what the fuck is happening?" Hey, man, that's how it usually goes. Uh, yeah, in order of disappearance, I would definitely once again another great film this this week to that you maybe not was on your radar, but you should completely check out. Now, one you have heard of and we reviewed on the site, so I'm not going to get totally carried away with going into it in depth. Is Sully? Uh, we definitely had mixed reactions to this on the site. I, I actually came down the side really liked this, but certainly not going to call it one of Clint Eastwood's best. It's the best thing he's done this in year, like ten years, <laughs> which is not high praise. <laughs> oh man, it was, it Since, was just, uh, what was the one where he was the cranky old oh, Gran Torino? Yeah, that was the last watchable Clint Eastwood film. Yeah, no, this was a snooze fest for me. <laughs> I was just, I was like, oh well, come on, guys, please, I, you're you're phoning in your charm, Tom Hanks. Like, oh my god, <laughs> he's on auto charm. <laughs> he did. He said it to auto charm, and then a, a freaking uh, bird hit the engine. He just had his answering machine do the act in this movie. No, I I really liked him. He's still he's America's male sweetheart. Come on. You can't well, talk shit about Tom Hanks. What are you doing? Tom Hanks loves it when you talk shit about him. <laughs> I, know, I don't think that he does. <laughs> Do you see those pictures this year where he just showed up at somebody's wedding? Yeah. Yeah, he photobombed like their wedding basically or mm-hmm. like, like they're having it in a park and he was there and he just – they were taking pictures. He's like, ah. <laughs> well, see, that, that's why he doesn't give a crap what you say. He's yeah, still Tom Hanks. Maybe you're right. I, I had fun with the story of a – uh, U.S. Airway pilot, Chel- Captain Chelsea Sully Sullenberger, who saved every member of uh, every person on an airplane a- a- in 2009 by uh, doing a thing everybody told him not to, which was land the airplane in the water. He saved every single person on the plane. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, immediately the insurance companies are like, well, we're going to find a way to blame you for this. <laughs> yeah, you just fucked up an Airbus, son. Yeah. And then, of course, it was found that, no, it wouldn't have made it to back to an airport. You mm-hmm. saved all those people when they would have died. But the things. calculations. But th- I do feel like this movie was kind of making a big thing out of something that really only took like five minutes in real life. Yep. You know, you're just like, and I don't mean even the crash. I mean the debate about whether or not he was, had done anything wrong. Yeah. It's like, guys, this didn't, I mean, I get, there's no question this guy was a hero, but not really sure two hours is it wasn't necessary to, to tell the story. And there's a lot of repeating itself that goes on through this movie. Like, how many times are we going to watch the fucking plane crash? Now, if the last 30 minutes had just been uh, following Sully filming those Children Miracles Network commercials, I would have liked that. <laughs> I would not have. Uh, if you are interested in seeing this, you can listen to our full review of this, uh, a 20-minute tw- summary review of this on the site on Highly Suspect Reviews. If you're interested in uh, getting the Blu-ray, if you really like the movie, there is a 15-and-a-half-minute detailed account of uh, from Sully Sullenberger, First Officer Jeff uh, Skyles, who was played by Aaron Eckhart, mm-hmm. and uh, P- uh, Patrick Harton, played by Patch Dura, who all come on and, and give the real-life details of what happened. There's Sully Sullenberger, the man behind the movie, which is a a uh, 20-minute biography of him narrated by Philip Terrence. Uh, there's Neck Deep in the Hudson shooting Scully 20 minutes on getting into the filming of the damn thing and how they, they, they filmed the plane doing what it did and then a bunch of trailers. So, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I thought they really thought they had best picture material for this. There's just not enough stuff here to make a best picture movie out of. Well, there's not much of a movie. Everybody's trying. It's not for lack of trying. It just doesn't quite do it. But speaking of air travel, 
<laughs> I'm going to one I could not bring myself to hand off to you. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a 1969 soft core uh, and later R-rated. See, so see guys, see, R-rated. look, look, he's trying to keep me from watching the smut. He thinks I, I can't handle it's it. That's true. Uh, that was kind of a classic when it came out. It was in 1970. It was, it was called The Stewardesses. It was made on a budget of just barely over 100 grand. It grossed $25 million in 1970, which made it the most profitable 3D film ever made. Bam. Alone. Yes, released in 3D, which there is a version of this you can watch in 3D on here. Oh. oh. Red glasses. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Um, originally rated X, it was reshot on theaters so they could make more money and get the R rating because it was actually doing really well in the porno theaters. Mm. This is the rated X version. Okay. And it's garbage. There's Mm, nothing. uh This is for people who have a fondness for historic smut. And there's a very large market. People in go-go boots. You know, okay. All like, right. Hey, look, pilots get to sleep with all the stewardesses. Yeah. They, and then a last, especially Sully. Yeah, yeah. And then a last minute half-assed like suspense plot with like I, which I even had trouble caring about at all. Which was like, oh, one of the stewardesses goes crazy because he that pilots a dick. Mm, yeah. Mm, uh, mm, there's I. If you like this sort of thing, it's a nice fix-up. You know, they, they, they certainly treated it with care. I'm just not sure it deserved. I, you know, I'm being, I'm being stuck up. There's stuff I love, I love, like being coming back that uh, the people who like this are probably like, why the fuck would anybody want to watch Phantasm again? You know? <laughs> and like, I'm saying that about stewardesses. That's not fair. There are people out there, this stuff is their bread and butter. And this is what's considered to be for those who love this sort of thing, a classic. So here it is. With all you sickos. Let's watch it. Want. Uh, no, this next one, I can, I have to claim, um, uh, nostalgia for. for Yeah. Well, I gotta say that in, in reviewing all these motherfuckers, this was a nice little, uh, palate cleanser. Was it? Okay. (laughs) They were talking about moving violations. This was a 1985 comedy that was, uh, by Neil Israel, who was the guy who worked on, who directed Police Academy. He made Real Genius. He made Bachelor Party. Mm-hmm. He made legendary, like, crazy party comedies. Moving Violation is not a legendary party comedy, but it's certainly them going, let's remake Police Academy, essentially, if, and get Bill Murray for it. Wait, we can't. We can't. Shit. Shit. We'll get his brother, and then every time, but right before he goes on screen, we're going, just do Bill. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, th- this gave me the realization of like the 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 smarmy jerk off guy that's in so many eighties movies was just people trying to have Bill Murray. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know it seemed like sensible. You get John Murray, right. the actor, is probably in the least amount of stuff for the Murray brothers who right. did act. Oh, R.I.P. Brian, jo- uh, Doyle. Brian Doyle. Brian Doyle was in a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, what was the other one? Other older one who's also in a lot of stuff. Oh, the other Murray. Yeah, there's a, a, a God damn it, um, Brian Dolmer. No, I can Joel see his face. Yeah, Joel. Okay. Joel. Joel's in a lot of stuff as well. He was in, um, um, fuck, what is the thing I'm thinking of? He was in uh, Better Off Dead, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is John. You'll be like, yeah, sorry, let's get back to John. <laughs> There's no mistaking that he's a Murray, though. He no. maybe looks the most like his, definitely looks the most like Bill out of any of his brothers. But yeah, they're like, you know, Murray, like in stripes or something. We want you like that. <laughs> like a, a cross between Murray and Steve Gutenberg is what we're looking for. I see for. Murray at a little touch of like looking like Bill Hicks. Yeah, a l- yeah, definitely there. But they can't make him look that way. No. He just does He that, just happened but, to. Yeah, it's a, he's a wise 
ass who r- runs a uh, I don't know plant business. Oh, oh, excuse me. Uh, he is a college dropout who has been floundering from job to job and just happens to own a gigantic nursery. Yes, for some reason, <laughs> uh, and uh, he gets pulled over. By James Keach. Yes, that's right. Stacy Keach's brother. And <laughs> right. keep, keep with us. This is a theme. <laughs> um, who is like the total douchebag cop. Um, and his, they've just been given, yeah, just ticket everyone. And he ends up getting sent to moving violation school where you have to go for traffic violations. And you find out that James uh, Keach has been told by Sally Kellerman, who is the evil scheming judge who sent all these people there, Mm. that um, if they intentionally don't pass these people, they get to repossess all their vehicles and they can sell them and they can keep the money. Not sure that would actually work in real life. Now, he has a love interest who... Also, keeping with the theme, this this is the, well, we can't get them. How about we get their brother or sister? Yes. <laughs> we get Meg Tilly's sister, Jennifer Tilly. Who did, you know, as opposed to Jane Keach and John Murray, did in fact go on to have a real acting she, career. Yes, she did. <laughs> but this was an early film for her. <laughs> but yeah, that theme of like, what? Who's, yeah, we can't get them. We'll just get their sibling. Crazy. Although Fred Willard is the actual Fred Willard. Oh, that was yeah, that was. I'd forgotten he was in this. And I was like, oh, Fred Willard, back at, like in his prime of like, I, I'm doing this for like I don't know two grand, yeah. but but I'll Fred Willard it up. It's. I mean, this whole thing. It's very Police Academy style humor. Mm. It's like it's not as good as Police Academy was. It's probably as good as Police Academy two. This this was a movie that was made for USA Up All Night. Oh, totally, and <laughs> it has its charms. Mm-hmm. There's no question. There's some genuinely funny stuff in here and there's a lot of ugh, for fuck's sake stuff <laughs> i mean probably the best get, get thing in this whole thing is with fred uh willard where he's a uh, a car doctor but his whole gimmick is that like he's a car mechanic owns a car mechanic shop but his whole gimmick is we're doctors and they wear things and this one character the overweight woman in there is like she's a hypochondriac and he's talking to her she thinks he's an actual doctor and so he's telling her just, well, you're going to want to lube up your rear end really good. Make sure you get it in there tight, and, you know. So, so, so she jams basically a handful of Vaseline up her butt. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hilarity ensues. I got to say the best, the best laugh, ooh, yeah, was uh, they, they got the where's the beef lady. They did, yeah. Claire Peller appears in here <laughs> briefly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's some funny stuff. I mean, it's this is mainly for people who grew up in the 80s, though, to be fair. Oh, yeah, it's completely Moving stupid. Moving violations, I totally <laughs> forgot about this one. I actually saw that in the theater, or at the very least on HBO. Uh, Don Cheadle, one of his first yes, as, as the, anyway. the guy in the drive-thru. Yeah, the drive-thru guy, yeah, one of his first on-screen appearances. Before but, he was War Machine, fellas. But, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't want to, like talk too much shit. It's okay, but I neither do I want to praise it too highly. <laughs> there is definitely fun stuff here, but not a lot. And there's a commentary with Neil Israel, but that's about it. Uh, worth it if that sounds like your type of thing. This next one is interesting. Um, mm. It's called Man Facing Southeast. When it came out, it was to quite a bit of uh, acclaim. It was the Argentina entry for Best Foreign Language Film of the 60th Anniversary Awards, but it was not accepted as a nominee, ultimately. And this came back out again in 2001 when the movie K-Pax came out because people were like, hey, this is really similar Mm -hmm. to this old movie that most Americans never saw. Right. But a lot of critics did, Man Facing Southeast. To this day, the guy who made K-Pax claims I'd never even heard of this movie, which I look at a little 
<laughs> just say like, oh yeah, I remember that and move uh, on. And this one certainly is similar, except the main character is looked at less like an alien. Ultim- well, I mean, he is an alien or at least is no, question marks. an alien. And he just shows up at a psychiatric institute. And it's about his relationship with the doctor there who is going kind of going back and forth how he feels about this whole thing. Uh, but is forming a, a real kind of friendship with this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, everybody loves him. And he's, the whole thing is a metaphor for Jesus, unlike K-Pax, which is there but a lot more subtly. Here it is not subtle at all. No, no. Uh, but, you know, I feel like by the end they're like, okay, he's he's an extra terrestrial you know like he was an extraterrestrial they they say it but don't say it i was like okay i mean i guess this is probably better if you you did not see k-pax if it came as a surprise but. oh i had completely forgotten about k-pax like i've seen it it just mm-hmm. <laughs> i had so thoroughly forgotten it that this did not bring up any memories okay well what did you think of this uh i, I saw what they were going for it was just kind of churning along mm-hmm. and just like the, the pacing wasn't great uh i, I thought that the doctor character was flip-flopping too much between i don't believe in like oh there could be magic in the world <laughs> <laughs> and and the, like as somebody who used to play a tenor saxophone just seeing so much goddamn tenor saxophone annoyed the shit out of well me. <laughs> you know it was it was the 80s Everybody played the tenor sax. Oh, yeah. You had to be in a rock and roll band. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they made a movie in the 80s where there isn't a scene where the main character plays a saxophone. Was, yeah. Was that like a Director's Guild thing? I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you're right. It is slow moving, but I, I, it's interesting. It has a Vonnegut-ish feel to it. I can see that. And there are scenes that I, I really enjoyed. Like, there's a scene they go out to a classical music on the, you know, outside concert, and he mm. ends up getting up there and just sort of taking it over. And the whole time, while this is happening, back at the Institute, everyone starts going crazy and losing their minds and, like, having a riot. Yeah. And it's a fun sequence back and forth. You're kind of like, wow, I honestly don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah. But I, I thought towards the end, it kind of lost track of what it wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. It's very confusing at the end. So, I don't know. I mean, it's it feels like more of a curiosity now than anything else, but it's an interesting film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Counterclockwise. Oh, boy. This is this <laughs> this week's uh, uh, art exploitation film entry. I am at a loss to explain okay, what I, anyone I, likes about this. I movie. was afraid you were going to say it was the pick of the week. No, my God. This is so bad. This was basically The Room, but with a sci-fi slant. Oh, it's that level of bad. Yeah. Really I, I, don't, I kept reading good reviews for this thing, and I'm like, what the fuck, people? I mean, the idea is this guy has built this machine that's not supposed to be a time machine. I forget what they it's said. It's a transporter. It a transporter. Yeah. But then it turns out when he teleports a dog, and then he's like, okay, well, that worked. And then he kind of on his own gets in and tries to teleport himself. And he, he it comes out like uh, six months into the future, which somehow has gone apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a yeah. series of him, like, trying to fix stuff. And what most bugged me about this was, like, right off from the get-go, he can see versions of himself there in the various times he goes to yeah. that are already there that he didn't do. So guess that means what? That there's yeah. nothing you can do. You can't change anything. <laughs> you will not be able to fix anything because everything is set. That future is immutable. When you see that, 
then that means that the future time is immutable. Yeah, you might as well just sit your ass down. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just a matter of waiting for this fucking thing to go through the motions to finish. And what really bugged me was, uh, so on the cover, there's there's a little one-eyed dog that's obviously like the movie mascot. Yeah. Because he doesn't show up very often, but... They 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 make sure you know that that they got a one eyed dog for this shoot, <laughs> and it's like he, stop exploiting the dog. <laughs> like, I, I felt bad for the dog having to be there at all. I was like, you're better than this. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, let's get you an Alpo commercial. Yeah, it's just and the guy, the main character, who's like so unappealing. I'm sorry if you're out there somewhere. Was it Bruno Amato? No, Bruno Bruno was that that crazy guy at the end. Oh, who, was he? Okay, yeah. well, whoever the main actor guy was in this one, I'm not even sure. He's like, he is. So, like, what's the name of that comedian who likes heavy metal? Oh yeah, Brian, Brian Posehn. Yeah. He looks like a red-haired Brian Posehn. You know, you're like not exactly a romantic lead. No, <laughs> no. Once again, nothing against Brian Posehn either, who's at least has talent. Right. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can make you laugh intentionally. Uh, yeah, there's all these weird little subplots that don't go anywhere in this Mm-mm. thing, and by the end, I was like. You know how much of this didn't even make sense on the most basic level of trying to tell a time travel story? No, right? or just just like anything. Like uh, at the end, the, the the beefy guy gets all uh, necrophiliac. Yeah, and it's like, what, what, is, what the shit? That? Yeah, there's a scene where the beefy guy's like, "I'm gonna fuck your dead girlfriend," and you're like, "Why?" What? <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff like that thrown in of like, "What is happening right now?" Yeah, this is such a bad movie that maybe it does deserve to be seen for that on that level. I, I could see, yeah. <laughs> It's bridge that gap. Uh, I'm more criticizing people who gave this a good review than I am criticizing the movie itself. Almost at true because I'm I like, what is stop? Yeah, because then you're just leading you people gave to this trouble. A good review, then you need to reconsider being a critic. <laughs> you need to watch it every time somebody else does. <laughs> Speaking of that, our next film is Suicide Squad. Oh boy, Mister J, you hadn't gotten a chance to see this in the theater, had? You? No, I saw it in the oh, theater. Did you see it? Yeah. The theater? Okay, so yeah. did you rewatch it? The director's mm-hmm. cut. I did. Okay, I did. So you're like me in that. While this isn't a good movie by any stretch of the It was made better by it. I, I, this one was made better by the director's cut, and right from the get-go, it was much better than Batman v Superman. Oh, yeah. By a size oh, yeah. Anybody who says this is worse than that, I don't even know what to do with you. I'm like, okay, you live in your world, but stay over there, because <laughs> that is not compatible with my world. Because Suicide Squad, while a mediocre superhero film, is it doesn't even compare to the level of just travesty that well because it, it wasn't trying to like universe build the no. way that batman superman's was it, it was uh, the, you know this whole thing with this group of guys at least there were people with charisma in this i mm-hmm. mean i really genuinely enjoyed moments in this on a human level mm-hmm. like some of the relations between the characters had some funny one-liners and stuff i thought um margot robbie as as uh, uh harley quinn was actually pretty good, damn good in this. Yeah, when she remembered I, to be her. Uh, yeah, I would watch her in another movie, in the planned Birds of Prey movie, right? Doing, which I forget what they're calling now. Uh, and then, uh, like, Girls of Gotham or something weird. And, like, and uh, Will Smith, even as Deadshot, even though he's playing the most laughably banal conversion of Deadshot imaginable. Oh yeah, but it like, was still Will Smith. Yeah, it was. It was totally. It was Will Smith being likable action movie Will Smith, which mm-hmm. is nice since all we've seen him lately in is like depressing collateral beauty style <laughs> yeah. Will Smith. I'm like, stop playing that. We want to see you go, woo! 
Yeah, he's he's not making a movie with this kid. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I enjoyed him. I even like with the with some of the stuff that it adds in here with Jared Leto because I really hated him as the Joker when I first saw this. Yeah, it I, does make him better. With I thought so stuff. too. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you go on with yourself, Jordan it, Catalano. It, it added enough to sort of make go like to expand just enough of that relationship between him and Harley that it wasn't as offensive as it was in the the reduced. Yeah, book. no, definitely. Although it made that one scene a little more confusing where yeah. where uh after stuff happens and she throws away the the thing that says daddy yeah or pudding yeah and i was like okay well now wouldn't she want to keep that i don't know <laughs> uh, actually the weakest point in this whole thing other than the script which is except for some of the punch-up writing which is quite good is just the you know it, this is 90s superhero filmmaking and, yeah you know it's it's just not imaginative at all is uh joel kenneman who is supposed to be the leader of this cast and he is just stiff as a board to this whole fucking <laughs> A bland <thing>. white guy. <laughs> yeah, he really is just so boring. I mean, I don't know if it is he just doesn't have a master of the mastery yet of speaking English. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, no, he's not. It's not his first language. Uh, J- I, of all things, Jai Courtney turns in the only fun performance of his career so far as Captain <laughs> Boomerang. I mean, maybe that was you. That was his whole thing. It's like. If he has to fake an accent, he can't act. But you just let him be an Australian and he's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, he'll tear through it. Because <laughs> I had fu- – actually, God help me, kind of had fun watching him in this. It's not a good movie, once again. No. Nope. Please don't argue and go, well, I can't believe you like that. No, it's not a good movie, but it's a movie that has some good parts to it. And I guess part of it is like when you put it up against Batman v Superman or even even a Man of Steel, for my money, mm-hmm. it's better than either one of those. Well, it's like, look, people – you can like fast food chains and know they're not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the same thing. It's just it's just fun. Yeah, I'll, I mean for what it is, it's 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 like one of the, I don't see myself going back and rewatching this on purpose, you mm-hmm. know? Like like okay, I saw it. I mean, I did rewatch it for the extended cut to see that, but uh there are a certain amount of extra features here. Uh, there's a feature, t- Task Force X, One Team, One Mission, that traces the history of Suicide Squad in comics, which is always more interesting to me than any other extras in comic book movies. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, here's the real history of these characters. There's Chasing the Real with uh, David Ayer, director, production designer, Oliver Scholl, visual effects producer Ed Ulbrich, and other contributors. Looks at the balance between realism and comic book fantasy. I wasn't aware there was a balance there. <laughs> Joker and Harley, it, couple of the underworld, looking at those guys. Squad strength and skills. Uh, which is about the stunt sequences armed to the teeth about the weapons and props this is going to get loud the epic battles of suicide squad which uh you would think about that this was about the soundtrack but it is not it's actually about the choreo- choreography of the fights oh, okay. the squad declassified which was just a promotional short showing each member of the squad and uh their weapon of choice there's a gag reel that's only two minutes long and you're like seriously like any ensemble film, you know you've got more bloopers than that. Unless they were very humorless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's – this is what it is. If you already saw it, I doubt you're going to really change – and hated it. I doubt you're going to change your mind by watching this extended cut. Mm-hmm. But if you saw it and you were like, eh, it was just eh, you might like <laughs> it. Go like, yeah, this is a little bit better. <laughs> this is more palatable. Now, uh, on the other hand, there's Fear the Walking Dead, season two. Now, I watched the first season, and a lot of people are very critical of it because they're like, Jesus, nothing happens on this fucking thing. Okay. And they're right, because it takes place before the zombie apocalypse started, which in retrospect, may be not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you've committed, and you've got eight more episodes to go. Well, the second season was like, okay, this thing's in full sway now, as it takes its surviving characters, and... Right off the bat, puts him on a boat, which is interesting. We never saw that on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. The first several episodes of the season, they're on a boat. 
and they're dealing with boat shit and like boat p- pirates out there, people stealing from other people. Whoa, snap! And it's actually kind of fun at first, despite people making really stupid decisions. Which okay, was part of the problem with the first half of the first uh, season of this. It's just so endemic to the second season. People doing the like people like to say that about The Walking Dead, and I usually argue. I'm like going. Yeah, I think you're projecting yourself too much and in a situation that where you you have to accept. The dead have come alive and civilization <laughs> is gone and everyone tries to kill you and you're like, I would do something really sensible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, are you saying it's a slightly jarring experience? In, in this case, they really do do incredibly stupid stuff. Okay. You're just like, come on, nobody would do that. And they, unfortunately, I wish the season had just stayed on the boat the whole time because that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, where are you going? But they don't. They do. They go off on like an island and they meet some people at like a lighthouse island who have their own problems. And I don't know. I just, a part of it is they, this does not have anybody in it that has the level of charisma as Andrew Lincoln mm-hmm. or, um, Daryl Dixon. Daryl Dixon, you know, like, there's nobody like that here so far. The actors are, there's some good actors that just don't seem to have, maybe they're just not developed enough yet, but I'm just not into anybody. And this is the thing where one of the teenage kids is super into it. He's like, like any, because you remember it was like maybe one, two episodes of The Walking Dead, they ever did that thing where they dip their guts in the dead and spread the blood all over themselves so mm-hmm. they can get out of an area, which often you're like, just do that again. <laughs> never do it. Uh, in this one, this kid does it all the fucking time. No He's way. like, you can do that? And so he just goes out for fun. He's like, oh, I'm going to find a corpse. I'm going to myself. There you go. And then he just goes off. Got to get ready for the club. <laughs> exactly. You're like, Jesus Christ, dude. Unless the kids are going insane. You're like, come on. Whatever. I don't know. This is just, I'm about ready to give up on Fear of the Walking Dead at this point. I'm no saying, now give it time for a season. You know, it was a bad idea to start before things, but let them get to their thing. And now that they're there, I'm like, yeah, this kind of sucks. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you did not get to see two of the noir films nope. either that nope. came out this week. One was the Criterion release for this week that we're that we're covering, which is the Asphalt Jungle. Oh my! Yeah, and ass is not the operative term. It's fault. It's not fault either, actually. And this is actually an old John Huston film, legendary director, 1950 film noir based on the novel from right the year beforehand by W. R. Burnett. And it's, uh, it really focuses on Sterling Hayden as a not really bright thug who gets brought into a group of guys who are going to do a really huge jewel heist. And nobody in it is really all that smart either. And there's a lot of backstabbing. It sounds like a really easy plan. And of course, everything goes horribly wrong. Uh, and it's fun. It's mm-hmm. watching this whole thing fall apart. You can see how many movies, including Reservoir Dogs, were deeply influenced by this thing. <laughs> it's a very well-made movie that probably just because of how many people have stolen from it doesn't hold up as well. Because as they, they've had time to practice. <laughs> just too many familiar... You know how it is you watch an older movie that did stuff first? And then you watch it now and it feels cliched. Yeah. It's not. It did it first. <laughs> Everybody, all those other movies you love stole from it. <laughs> That's your reward for being groundbreaking. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I, this is, you know, in for film noir, considered to be a bit of a classic. It's certainly beautifully shot with really good performances in this thing. Um, it, it being Criterion, the original trailer. There's an archival interview with uh, John Huston. There's an archival documentary film, Pharos of Chaos, that looks into the history of actor Sterling Hayden. 
Uh, uh, there's an interview with film noir historian Eddie uh, Muller, who deconstructs this and talks about why it's such an important American crime film. There's a brand new video interview with cinematographer John Bailey, who discusses the visual style of this. There's City Lights, which is an archival ex- episode of that uh, television program, which the director, John Houston, talks about his personal life and professional career from 1979. There's The Houston Method, which is a brand new piece edited from several archival interviews where Houston talks about his approach to writing and directing. There's an audio commentary with a film historian. And then, then of course, there's the leaflet from a critic that discusses the film. So, you know, solid criterion release. If you're looking to, if film noir is really your thing, then this is definitely one you should consider adding to your collection, as is the considerably lesser known uh, sudden fear, but that in some ways I really enjoyed more if for any, if for no other reason that this is lesser seen and mm-hmm. so lesser ripped off. Okay. And it actually had more surprises in it for me. It's also Joan Crawford plays one of the lead characters here and Jack Palance, who by the way, when oh. he was young, looked like he was one small bone spur away from being a circus freak. <laughs> Just something <laughs> about the guy. He is both Hideous and handsome at the same time. I read that line. He's just odd looking. Um, Joan Crawford plays a very successful Broadway playwright. Uh, did I say the name of this? Sudden Fear? Yeah. Uh, she plays a very successful Broadway pra- playwright who, uh, at watching a sort of early rehearsal for a play where they're testing out people, the guy they all want for the lead is Jack Palance. And she's like, I just, it's not that he's a bad actor. It's just the lead is supposed to be so dreamy. He just sweeps woman off his feet and that's not that guy. So she has him removed from it. So a little while later, she meets him on a train going to San Francisco and they have, uh, they hit it off. They have this great thing where they're having a great time together mm-hmm. and it turns in romantic and she very shortly afterwards marries him. And then we, of course, what with going into this, a film called Sudden Fear, know the other shoe has to drop, which is that he is totally a con man. He's totally scamming her. His partner in crime shows up, uh, who is a woman. No, no. Who is there to keep an eye on him more than anything else. He's like, I don't want you here. And she's like, well, I don't believe you're going to do, do me right if I'm not here keeping an eye on you. And Joan Crawford's so, you know, I mean, she's like so in love with this guy. And then, you know, through a MacGuffin discovers what's happening mm-hmm. and decides, well, fuck this. They were going to kill me. I'm going to kill them. Does she call Johnny Guitar? <laughs> no, she does not. But it's an interesting noir twist because she plays the sweetest, nicest person imaginable. And that, that is a twist. Like, and then she comes up with an elaborate plan to murder both of them and, and make it look like they killed each other. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's go. a solid film. I was like, wow, I really enjoyed that. That was If it was made today, it would end more brutally than it does mm. it, it makes some decisions towards the end that if if some if it had been made now that would never happen they would go no 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 we don't need to do that uh but it works as joan crawford you know being phenomenal jack pounce look at look at him there's a picture <laughs> of isn't he a weird looking motherfucker when he was young oh yeah he was the inspiration for skeletor he was weird when he was looking when he was old but it seemed more normal because he was old when well it's because like, yeah the the sagging kind of filled in some of those sharp angles yeah just an odd looking guy uh there's audio commentary by a film historian and that's about it on this thing but it is definitely well worth your time highly recommend little hidden classic next up is one of martin's thomas's favorite movies this year i see that. I uh, totally see that. Florence Foster Jenkins. Now, I did not take to this anywhere near as much as he did. Okay. But I did still think it was kind of charming. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the true story of Florence Foster Jenkins, who was this 
Woman who was a New York City heiress and socialite who was well-loved. Like, everybody loved her. She funded tons of charities. She, like, you know, there were all these people whose careers she helped take off. And she herself had harbored this thing where she wanted to be a singer. But the problem is she had absolutely no talent for it. And I mean, like, like tone deaf as you get. But was seemingly unaware of this being the fact. And her husband, who took care of her in everything... What started funding her career as a singer, even though he knew she should, but he was like, this is what she wants. And he's paying people to be nice, basically. Mm-hmm. And somehow she turned into like a fixture on the scene where people like ironically were, pre- this is like the birth of hipsterism. Yeah. They were like ironically appreciating how terrible she was to standing up there doing opera. But at the same time, got that this is this woman living her dream and she's a great lady and why not? Yeah, uh, this is fun in its way. Well, the, the movie does a good job of initially getting that laugh out of just how awful she is at singing. Mm-hmm. But then after, like, it, it's throughout, but it doesn't focus on that. It, it drops away from that, and then actually finds genuinely funny situations and 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 uh, acting around it, as opposed to that being the focus. Yeah, and Meryl Streep, of course, who can sing really well, as they you know feel like it was added intentionally for the sake of her career towards the end to point out, by the way, she's a pretty good singer in real oh, life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like like that dream <laughs> sequence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just so you know, this was acting, her to being that bad at singing. But Hugh Grant plays her, like, her husband, who's also kind of married to another real younger woman. Yeah, he's got his, his living chippy. Yeah, but it's like, it makes sense in the context of the story where you're like, well, she had syphilis when they got married. Yeah. So they chose to have a non-physical relationship so he wouldn't get it. You know, because right. no cure, and, and and how he kind of was like, oh, we got an understanding, and then you find out, not they really, don't really. But I felt like it was like, don't ask, don't tell, yeah, type of thing. I mean, it never feels you never feel looking at him like what a jerk because he genuinely loves like well, Street. yeah, it was. I, I guess I can see part of what what Martin was looking into, and in that like uh, it was the little things, like the little. Uh, weaknesses that that she played with Florence like it wasn't these grand scoping things but like when she asked Hugh Grant to stay the night yeah you know just the vulnerability that she had in there that was not overplayed was like okay I get what you're saying yeah Uh, I also really enjoyed Simon Helberg, who oh, I know fantastic. is on Big Bang Theory, but he's really perfectly cast. No, he did a great yeah, job in this. He's playing the piano accompaniment guy who come, who they pay a lot of money to come be there, and basically part of that is to just smile and shut up and play. Lot. Shut up and play. Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, we know she's not good. Just pretend like she is. <laughs> He's really funny. Um, I, yeah, this is a solid movie. I just, once again, I just didn't think it was one of the best of the year. I, nah. I was very entertained by it. Certainly worth a rent. Yes. Not sure why we we got sent actually copies for like thoughts of best of the year for this movie, Little Men, directed by Iris Axe, and I'm not quite sure why because it's a run of the mill little indie dysfunctional family. No, dude, it, 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 uh, that that's my actual review of it. <laughs> I think mine too. I mean, and I like Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear tends to bring a lot of life to projects that otherwise may have just laid their dead. This is not one of the ones he really adds much to here. Uh, his dad dies and he moves his wife and his 13 year old son, who is the main character of this, into a Brooklyn apartment uh, from a from a uh, place in Manhattan. Even though the apartment, I believe they're saying, is bigger, it's all Brooklyn's not considered to be as high end as living in Manhattan. <laughs> no. 
Um, and they have a tenant on the ground level space, which is the dress shop run by Paulina Garcia and her 13 year old son, Michael Barbieri. Now it's, the film is really about the friendship between uh, Greg Kinnear's son and her son. And the problem being that, that they're like, well, we don't have very much money right now and we can't afford to let her continue to rent half our building for the price your dad was charging, which was almost nothing. Yeah. Like we have to, and he's not the only one who owns it. He's not being a dick. Like he owns it with his sister. So they're like, you got to either get her to pay an appropriate amount of rent or get her to leave, which causes problems with the friendship between the boys, but not really a lot of problems. (laughs) (laughs) And so so it's like, you know, they're his son wants Greg Kinnear's son wants to, uh, Wants to uh, become an artist, and her, uh, uh, Pauline Garcia's son, wants to be an actor, and they're kind of getting all dreamy about, like, going on, you know, the more difficult future choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, I mean, I guess the appeal here is supposed to be for people who ever had that short-term but intense friendship in their early teens with someone that disappeared, because that's kind of what this is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would say is like... Well, what you gonna do? Like that's sucks, basically the movie. Like, sucks to be you, but I'm not sure why you felt like telling us about it. Yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> just not much really happening here. I mean, it's all right. Strong performances by uh, the guy who plays uh, the kid who plays Greg Kinnear's son, Theo Tapitz. The other kid, Michael Barbieri, is going so full on man up. Uh, uh, Brooklyn accent. Hey, he's, yeah, he's like playing a caricature almost here. <laughs> are you like, are you from a Spike Lee movie? You do know that The Sopranos ended, right? They're not casting anymore <laughs> for that <laughs> reboot. I don't know, Little Man. It's of little import, indeed. And then there's the Hellraiser set. What? Shit. If you like the classic films, Hellraiser. Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, and the complete shit. Bloodlines! Oh my god, the third film is so bad. I I don't even know why they included this. I would thought, like, you know what, skip ahead to the Scott Derrickson chapter, which wasn't good either, but it was better than the third one. (laughs) But the first two are great. And this is a box set uh, from Arrow, four-disc set of those first three films, the whole extra disc full of uh, extras, and they're also extras on each separate disc, with the a really nice, much better than previous editions, uh, quality prints of all these films. Oh, cool. Lots of new bonus features. It's called the Scarlet Box. Lots of physical extras that it comes with. Oh, man, this that's is cool. for the Hellraiser fanatic in your life, and you did, know you know. Did they give you a chatter postcard? Uh, I, I I didn't get it. They sent me the bare the the one you the white sons of copies bitches. of it. But there, I mean, it's it's a uh, what is it? It's um, you're saying it's Hell on Earth is the third one. Okay, yeah, not Bloodlines. No, I love Bloodlines. That is was that four. I think that was four. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything from any of them after three because after three, I just got such a bad taste in my mouth. Pleasure and pain are two sides of separate coins. Now it's just so <laughs> dumb. Oh my god! And when they're like. Ooh, all the new Cenobites will be gimmicky (laughs) and will be given (laughs) one-liners. Like when the guy's got a camera through his eye that extends out to stab people and says, that's a wrap. You're like, no, no. You're like, why is Terry Farrell who played Dax from Deep Space Nine the lead character in this thing? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so bad it is kind of it's almost definitive film for what was wrong with horror movies in the 90s well it was a correction that needed to be made <laughs> yeah um but one and two are totally solid movies mm-hmm. that were way ready for a fix-up the the only previously existing blu-ray copies of these there was just so much grit and grime on them they looked terrible and this is a solid upgrade this is the one that you've actually probably been waiting for uh up to 2k nice Okay. And uh, good audio mixes as well. Like I said, tons of bonus features, including all the original Anchor Bay 2004 release of the same three films, and then tons of brand new stuff, uh, including that, 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 what, four, I think it was four disc documentary about Hell, Hell, uh, Hellraiser films that they've split up on each disc. So oh, part cool. relating to each movie is on there. Hey, see, that's fan service. Leviathan, I believe is what it's called. Uh, yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of extra stuff, including the surgeon scene from, I believe the second film that was cut. It was one of those things like everyone was like, where the fuck is it? Because it was actually released on, I think the European box is the cover. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, that's not in the movie. <laughs> And, you know, how horror fans are. They were like, show us this fucking thing, and nobody's ever seen it before, where they dug it up and put the scene in here, and it's terrible. But it's there. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's why they cut it. Here you go, assholes. Lap it up. (laughs) There's, like, a whole new, uh, there's a 200-page book, Damnation Game. I thought it said Dalmatian Game. (laughs) That would be an interesting choice in here uh, that's included... Uh, that looks at the history of, like, Barker's whole career, all the way up to the Scarlet Gospels, his new book uh, set in the Hellraiser universe. It's pretty solid, guys. I mean, yeah, it's it's for only the most hardcore of hardcore fans, because it's not cheap. But eventually, you know they're going to release these separately. To, yeah, you know? yeah, or they'll get to half-price books at some point. All right, so next, another foreign film that I actually really did like quite a bit. Slow-moving but sweet was A Man Called Ove. Or was it Oove? Oove. 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 Oove, get over here. <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely an award season's one. I mean, I'm sure, positive this is... It's unlikely this will not get picked as a uh, as an entrant in Best Foreign Film this year, as it is certainly... It, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just Oscar bait. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, it's also like curmudgeon chic. Yeah, it, it, that's good. That's nice. I like that. It's a Swedish film that uh, follows the, the lead character, 59-year-old Ove, who is a asshole who lives in this small, like, prefab town, mm-hmm. gated community. <laughs> and nobody likes him because he's a jerk. Yeah, he's a everybody. Bag. He's always like, look, don't you see what the sign says? Do this. And you start learning more about him as it goes along. Like, his wife has died. He lived there with her for a very long time. That there's a guy who was his best friend who now is in a vegetative state. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, his life is miserable. But a new couple and their kids move in next door who, despite him trying as hard as he can to put them off and to try to kill himself multiple times to <laughs> and fail. This okay, is that like was a funny. depressing Swedish better off dead. <laughs> <laughs> Except nobody wanted $2. But he ends up getting, you know, it breaks him down, this friendship with this, this couple, this younger couple really kind of teaches him to appreciate life again, but in a way that doesn't feel triacly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just tired of the concept as a whole. You know, like someday this is going to be you, Joe. So you better. Oh, I'm working on it now, son. (laughs) You're already halfway there. You're like a man called over. (laughs) Over with this shit. No, I mean, if you like this type of thing, it was selected as the sweetest entry for best foreign language film at the 89th Academy Award. So, um, in fact, got to the short list. But, um. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed this, and this type of film is not usually my type of thing, but its sense of humor hit, hit home for me, and Swedish yeah, films are not known for being funny. No, well, I mean, maybe that's part of the reason for the punch. Yeah. You know, but I mean, like, I, I did like him. I'm just tired of the trope. Yeah. I guess. Like, I did like him trying to kill himself. That was pretty fantastic. Because, like, <laughs> why not? You know, <laughs> what's what's coming over the bend? Probably nothing you want. That's true. It's to this point, it's just slowly becoming more decrepit and losing memories. Yeah. yeah. So just keep them. That's that. I'm, I don't feel like ending this review on that note. <laughs> Kids, having fun now? Just wait. Soon it'll be like hell on earth. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be that slow crouch for no payoff. <laughs> All right. Well, our last film today you did not get to see, which Mm-mm. is American Honey. Talk about your long films. This is two hours and 43 minutes of a young ingenue Uh-oh. in the context of the film, but in the context of being an actress. Here's Sasha Lane, who is truly tremendous in this thing, who is living a terrible life, taking care of her two very young siblings, two parents that want, you know, a, a, fa- a parents who are separated. Her father wants nothing to do with anything. Is She's in charge of going to steal food and shit, so they have food at all in the house. Okay. Father's like a crackhead, and every time she comes home, he tries to have sex with her. And then the mom is just a, a drunk who hangs out at local hole-in-the-wall country line dancing bars. Cool. They do with them either, but she finds a way to abandon the kids with her mom. He's like, they're not my kids. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And takes off with, okay, calm down, Shia LaBeouf. Uh. I know. Who shows up is like, hey, you, you're sot and sexy. You should come with us. We sell magazines on the road, and it's like a party 24-7. <laughs> That's their business model? Magazines? Fair, he's not lying. It is pretty much just a party with a bunch of, like, really useless 20-somethings. Yeah, I know I get it, but selling magazines? Yeah. Yeah, they go out there and they, you know, they make up sob stories and stuff to get people to pay. Like, oh, okay. I mean, have you never had these kids come to your door? This Fuck is a no. real thing. Mm. It's happened at my house a couple times and they come up. I'm like, uh, absolutely not. Uh, so, I have a Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, yeah, they come up and they try and see, they'll be like, oh, yeah, our school is doing this thing to try and buy us a new, you know, handicap ramp or something, you know, or like, um, uh, I'm, I'm doing this through this program. Uh, because my father died of cancer recently, and this is for cancer survivors, and you know shit like mm, that. They yeah. make up shit. It's a real thing. They send kids out in these groups to do this, and they're just a bunch of kids who travel around in a van from city to city, and they get sent out in groups. And it's kind of about her weird sort of thing that she has off again, on again with Shia LaBeouf, where he's like the best of the selling sellers of these kids. Oh, naturally, but. uh He's thrown by her because it seems like even though he fucks every new girl who comes in, he actually seems to genuinely have a thing for her, even though as he goes along, it's clear that in an abusive, abusive, totally emotionally retarded sort of way. Okay. <laughs> so the problem with this film is why it's two hours and 43 minutes when honestly nothing really happens. Wait, excuse me, how long? Two hours and 43 minutes. Oh. <laughs> and nothing really happens plot-wise in this film. It's just they're going from city to city trying to sell stuff. And they're having – they're partying too much and acting like irresponsible rednecky 20-somethings. Okay. You're like, you're like, okay, why are we watching this for two hours and 43 minutes? There are films like The Handmaiden, for instance, mm-hmm. which totally earn an almost three-hour running time. You're like, man, that thing is so prop packed with stuff happening. It could be four hours and you'd be like, all right. That's like there's there's still room to grow. There is not room to grow past two hours in this movie. Uh, yeah, Sasha is charming. Shia LaBeouf is 
I mean, I guess he's fine. It's just that his character is so thoroughly unlikable. Man, I wish his art career had taken off. But almost, almost everyone in this is so unlikable. Riley Keough plays the just slightly older than the rest of them woman who is in charge of this whole group mm-hmm. that is basically scamming them. She takes 80% of everything they make. Nice! Yeah. Nice, and I like the cut of her jib. For the, I know, I was like, man, maybe I should do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, these kids are all, to a person, pretty fucking stupid. Uh-huh. You know, they, they're, once they have their thing, they figure out how to scam pretty well. I mean, clearly the smartest out of all of them is indeed Shia LaBeouf, who is indeed really good at scamming people. You know, her whole way, she comes into this, and the whole movie, you're just going, don't get raped, don't get raped, don't get raped, is being really stupid and using her sexiness to go off with dudes. Oh, man. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't particularly enjoy this, but I didn't... I get At the same time, you're like, it is really well made, and it's really well acted, and it's very convincingly cinema verite. Like, it feels like you're just a fly on the wall with real obnoxious 20-somethings. Okay, well, that's a turn-off. I know. I'm not really (laughs) selling you on this. I get the feeling that for people who, like, are of... This is, like, an art film for people who are about this age. Okay, all right. From 16 to 25, who like to party a lot, maybe Mm -hmm. too much, maybe have fucked up their lives a bit. (laughs) I could see when I was this age, if this had come out, I would have enjoyed it in an entirely different way than now, as an old fuddy-duddy, go, You kids! You wasted your life. You wasted your life. Get your shit together. <laughs> Subscription model. Anyway, yeah, not totally crazy about that. And barely any extras on it at all for a film that they were, like, talking about getting Oscar nominations this year. Well, maybe they used it all in the like, goddamn movie. There's, like, six minutes of uh, uh, of one, like, interview with Shia LaBeouf and Riley Keough. Or not Shia LaBeouf, Sasha Lane and Riley Keough. They couldn't even get Shia LaBeouf to show up. No, he's too busy, man. I don't know. I'm kind of on the, the like, I'm on the fence of saying this is bad because it's not I don't know it drives me crazy it just shouldn't be two hours and 43 minutes you can say it's unnecessary it's unnecessary thank you an hour and a half was more than enough (laughs) anyway that's it for digital noise I would like to thank Joe for coming out the day after Christmas to record this motherfucker hey I came on Kwanzaa you did (laughs) did you clean it up no well Kwanzaa's gonna be upset about that (laughs) she usually is (laughs) we will be back in Actually, I won't be. Richard has finally returned, so he and Marco will be back for the next episode. Hey, hey. Probably about a week or so, so there'll be a whole bunch of stuff with them. And then Joe and I will be back. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it, haters. 